Good morning, Forest View. Thanks so much for joining us. This morning, we're going to be continuing with our Life Together series. Over the last couple months, we've been journeying through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And we've been exploring the significance that it has for us today. This morning, we're going to be continuing on with Philippians chapter 1. But first, an important announcement. I am excited to say that the Evans family has officially a new favorite TV show. I mean, quarantine, we've, we've seen some dark times. I mean, there's been a lot of Doc McStuffins, a lot of Lego Star Wars, which those shows have been okay. But, but now we've found one that the whole family is enjoying. It's called Bluey, and it's this animated Australian TV show about a family of anthropomorphic dogs. Okay? And they, it's not educational, but the show, the entire idea of it is about play and fun and imagination, all sorts of important words in the Evans family mission statement. And every single episode, it just involves a game or something fun that they do together as a family and the different troubleshooting things that they have to navigate as they play and imagine and interact with one another. And my favorite thing about the show is not because it's funny and hilarious and all those different things, but but my favorite thing about the show is to watch my kids' reaction while they watch it. In fact, actually, a couple weeks ago, we had what in our family is a very coveted thing. We call it the TV dinner. It's where we get to sit and eat our dinner while we watch a show together. Usually we sit at the dining table, but every once in a while we get to sit down and watch together. And so we put on Bluey and my wife and I rather sneakily, we got out our phone and we began to film them. Now, usually once the phone comes out and we start filming our kids, they make silly faces or they run away and disappear. Our kids are kind of camera shy, but, but they were so engrossed in Bluey, just to watch them watch this show with this perma smile and laughing and giggling. And even sometimes they look and they've got the furrowed brow because genetics are real. And just to see them engrossed and just enjoying and and having so much fun with this show. I mean, I've watched it a little bit. Julie and I, one time we put it on by ourselves. It just wasn't the same. There's this incredible joy and excitement that emerges as we watch this show together as a family, as we sometimes incorporate some of the games or the things that they do and say, my daughter's even started speaking unbeknowingly to her with an Australian accent once in a while, like the characters on the show. But, but, but the thing that makes us so much joy or brings us so much joy is what emerges as we watch this show, as we share in this show with one another. This morning, we're gonna be looking at Philippians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 18 and we're gonna work all the way up to verse 26. Now, just a quick reminder, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's waiting trial, and that trial is going to determine whether he's going to be put to death or whether he's going to be released and set free. So the reality of death is weighing over him and over the whole situation as he writes his letter. Now, now, but get what he says. He says this, starting in the second half of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I mean, Paul looks at his circumstances and yet he says, I'm, I'm full of joy in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the uncertainty, in, in, in the midst of, of the very real reality that I'm going to face, I'm facing with death. 
I'm choosing to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted, magnified, lifted up in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, Paul looks at the situation he is walking through, this reality of death he is facing, and for him, it is a win-win situation. If he lives, that's amazing, it's a win. But if he dies, he will be with Christ, the thing that he longs for most in his life. It's a win-win situation, no matter situation, no matter the outcome. Now, here's the part that really gets me, this next part. He continues on, he says this, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. And for all of us, right? It's like, Paul, seriously? Torn between the two? I mean, it sounds like when you go out to, uh, you go out for dinner or lunch with a friend and that friend is the person pondering over the menu and the waitress or waiter has come up and it's like, can I take your order? And the person's like, I don't know what to choose. There's just so, everything sounds so good. But, but Paul's response is he looks at his situations, living, dying, and for him, He's like, no, I've got all kinds of joy in the midst of this. In fact, he actually flips on our head. It's like, Paul, I know which one you should choose. Like, you should choose to want to live. That that's, would be my choice. That would be the choice of, I imagine, just about anyone you ask this question to. But, but Paul, actually, he looks at it completely different. Catch what he says after. He says this, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But then he kind of begins to weigh it and he says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul has this incredible joy in the midst of the, the, the fate trials he's facing and in the midst of the, 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 the desperate situation he is facing. He is full of joy because he sees it no matter if he dies or if he gets released, it is a win-win situation for him. Because he knows that God is working in the midst of all of it. Uh, way back when I was in high school, I went to an arts high school. I was a music theater major. I mean, you used to joke about being a triple threat, singing, acting, dancing. Um, I didn't really have the dancing part down, so I was kind of like the 2.5 threat. Uh, and uh, I could box step and jazz hands, but that was about it for me. They used to hide me at the very back. Uh, and we, when I was in grade 12, we had a show that my class was doing, my music theater class. And we were, it was, it was one of the most fun shows I got to be a part of. It was all sorts of different pop hits from throughout the century. And one of my jobs that I had to do in preparing for this show is they needed me to help arrange one of the songs. Uh, and so I, we had to take pop songs, arrange them, and, and kind of rewrite them in a way so that it would be effective in the show, that you could have four parts, different voices singing. And so the song that I got designated was the classic 
written by the man, the legend, Barry Manilow, Copacabana. And so I remember working on this piece to arrange it for four-part harmony, and I'm transcribing, I'm listening, and I'm writing it all out, and I kind of got the melody down, and I'm putting in some harmonies, but it just isn't clicking. I mean, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't have the same oomph. It's I just working through it. And I remember finally just kind of being frustrated and realizing it was just, I was not gonna make it to the deadline and it wasn't gonna sound the way I needed it to, sit, to sound. And so I went to a man who worked at the school. He was like the professional accompanist, theory expert, music arranger. His name was Mr. V. And I remember going and talking to him and saying, Mr. V, I'm having trouble arranging this. Can you, can you work your magic on this piece? Can you make it sing? Can you just like make it into the music, the song that it's supposed to be? And I remember sitting down with him at the piano and working through it. And as he worked with me, we, he began to take kind of my mess and disjointed and just it wasn't working. And suddenly it just turned into music. I mean, suddenly it was something that could be performed in all of its Barry Manilow glory. Sometimes, actually in my life more recently, I've been starting to rethink about how I approach prayer. A lot of the time for me, prayer was about going, hey God, I wanna see this happen, this happen, this happen, this happen. Uh, but for me, it's uh, the more I've been praying and, and walking through things and walking with people through life, uh, for me, I've started to see prayer as less and less me giving my list, my to-do list to God, and instead just simply coming to God and saying, can you, can you make this sing, this situation, this relationship, this struggle that I'm going through, this, this, these people that are close to me that they're walking through, can you make it sing? Can you come in and work on it and make it into something beautiful? I mean, I'm doing this for you, God, but, but more and more I've been waking up to coming to God and saying, God, I'm, I wanna do this with you. I want them to do this with you and instead of trying to control everything and manipulate it to the outcomes that I think are just the way things are supposed to be, uh, instead to just open it up and allow God to work and invite God into it, to release it to him and to live with this awareness that I'm doing it with him. And the amazing thing is there's this joy that begins to emerge as I begin to realize that I'm experiencing this, I'm doing this with God, that it's something that we are doing together, even in the most difficult of struggles. Now, it's easy to see this, uh, to read Paul's letter, and to kind of get a little bit discouraged. Because, I mean, Paul, he, it just sounds like, okay, really? You can face death and just kind of look at that as being like the win situation? That's something that just feels so disjointed for me. And the thing that is amazing is you continue to read on with Paul's letter to the Philippians as you realize that, that Paul is not disconnected uh, to the rest of life. He is a person who went through struggles and sorrow and sadness just like everyone else. A little bit later on in the letter, he begins to talk about his friend Epaphroditus. And he talks about him being in jail and Epaphroditus becoming very, very sick and almost dying. And he talks about how God healed Epaphroditus and how he got healthy again. And he talks about how God spared him, Paul, of sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, this is, for, for Paul, this is not a, a joy that makes you indifferent to the suffering and struggles that we face in 
life. I mean, this is something. This is something deeper and richer than that. I mean, this is this is about a God for for Paul that has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus. This is about a Savior who weeps when confronted with the reality of death of a friend. Uh, this is this is a God who weeps as he looks over the city of Israel and sees the path, the destructive path they are on, their addiction to violence and power, and knows where it's going to take them and just begins to weep as he looks at them. Uh, this, this is a God that weeps in the garden as he knows he is going to face the cross and the pain and the suffering and the shame that it will bring. I mean, this is, this is a joy that is not disconnected from pain and suffering and sadness and sorrow. This is a joy that can exist even in the midst of it all. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 12, verse 2, talking about Jesus as this, For the joy set before him, he, being Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, this is a joy that doesn't just for when those great glorious moments of life. This is a joy that's with us, can be present, and is accessible in everything because Christ is with us in the midst of it. And this is not for Paul. He's excited because he wants to die. This is an excitement because he knows that even in death, he will continue to be with Christ. There's an old joke that I really like, uh, and it's a joke that has made me think about things in a very different way. I remember hearing it, I don't know, probably over 10 years ago, Uh, but it's resonated with me in different ways over the years. Uh, The joke goes like this. There's two guys up, uh, they meet at a bar way up in northern Alaska, and they're getting into a conversation, and and the, the, the topic of spirituality and God comes up. And basically, it's revealed the one guy, he is a devout believer. He is convinced that God is real and exists. Meanwhile, the other guy, he is an atheist. He believes that God is not real. There is no God. And so they get into a debate, and they're arguing about a bunch of things and about the proofs for God's existence or inexistence. And the conversation kind of turns to the guy says, well, the, the atheist says, well, here, I've got a story from my life. This will convince you that God isn't real. And so the believer says, okay, well, let's hear your story. So the atheist begins. He says, I was out hunting one day and this massive storm rolled in and I got turned, like so turned around, lost. I had no idea where I was. It was freezing cold. I was convinced that I was going to die. And so I cried out to God and I said, God, if you are real, please rescue me. And if you rescue me, I will dedicate my life to serving you. I will believe in you. I will start churches. I will go to travel to foreign countries. I'll do whatever it is. And so the man finishes his prayer. And then the, the believer, he quickly interrupts the story. He says, well, that's obviously you're here. Clearly you must, you should believe in God now because clearly God rescued you. And the atheist looked at him and he said, rescued me? No, God didn't do anything. But some guy showed up out of nowhere on a snowmobile and took me to safety. Now, I remember when I originally heard this joke and you kind of laugh and similar to the believer in the story as someone who was also a believer, I went, well, what a silly response from this guy. Of course, God sent this person on the snowmobile to rescue this guy. Uh, but, But as I've gotten more and more 
time to reflect on this story, I can't help but think that that, that assumption is wrong, too. Because that assumption just assumes that the only way that we can really know that God is real or God is only showing up, God is only with us when things work out the way that we think that they should work out. Over the last number of years, I, I've learned that I need a God and that people we need a God and the God that we see in Jesus is a God who shows up and is present with us even in the most difficult, tragic hard situations, and in the situations where we don't get the happy ending. And that that lack of that happy ending as we see it is not any less or any less evidence of God's presence with us. Uh, it's Over the last number of years, I've been beginning to rethink even some of the ways that I talk about certain things. There's a, there's a phrase that we, we use a lot, uh, specifically for people who are facing uh, death uh, because they're sick from some sort of disease. How many of us have heard the phrase, uh, they, they lost their battle with cancer or, or some other disease? But, but as I reflect on those journeys that I've gotten to take with people, sometimes up very close, the last word that I would use, and these are people who died because of the disease, the, the last word I would use to describe their journey would be that they lost. I mean, these were people who, who were incredible, beautiful examples of God's love and faithfulness and hope in the midst of such tragic, difficult circumstances. I can't say that they lost. I mean, when I look at them, I just see God all over the situation. And while it didn't turn out the way that I would have loved to have seen it turn out, I see a God whose hands were all over it. And I see so much joy, even in the midst of the tears and the pain. There's a, a thing in, in kind of popular in our Christian world, uh, we call it apologetics. And it's this argument for proof of the existence of God. So if you go to a Christian bookstore, if you go to online, start Googling Christian books, you'll find tons and tons of books that argue for the existence of God. Uh, and some of these arguments are more convincing than others. But, but the thing that I've actually been feeling a deep conviction in my life and a deep longing to see within the church and specifically here at Forest View. My hope is that our apologetics are not our apologetics, our, our evidence for the, for the presence of God, the existence, the, the, the rule of God in this world would not be determined by simple like logical arguments. But, but rather as people see our lives, they would see a supernatural God-given joy in our lives a joy that can transcend and be present even in the most difficult and painful circumstances. And that we could be a community that, that sees that we are not simply doing things for God, but that we are doing things with God. And as we experience all of this together, the good, the bad, that, that we would discover that there is an ultimate Joy, Because even when faced with death, we can look at everything that's in front of us and we can discover that this is a God who when he is with us, it is always a win-win situation. 
mean, this is a God who's entered into it all and who can make even the most tragic, broken situations, he can make them sing.